Good day to you fine people of God. I'm Pastor Cole McClendon coming to you from Central Assembly of God, Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. I trust that you will find great value in listening to this message today. My hope is that you're encouraged and strengthened by the word given and that you will return to this site frequently to listen in. Be blessed. I am going to say this for those of you who did not let your kids go for kids church. This is a PG-13 message. It is a full-on PG-13 message. While there will be nothing said or done in this message that your kids have not seen on television, that doesn't make it right. And so I want you to understand... Before I get too far into this message, now's your chance. Take your children to someplace else because if they pay attention, you're going to have questions you have to answer today. So, there you have it. That's my hold harmless agreement. I have given you an opportunity. And now, I'm going to preach the word. Everything I'm telling you is in the Word. However, it's rough. And you need to be made aware. My message, you can see the title, is The Necessity of Reconciliation. If you've been around me just a little while, you will hear me say something like this. Conflict is inevitable. How many of you would say amen to that? Um... From the earliest days in the Garden of Eden and throughout history, man has dealt with conflict, conflicted with one another. I make an effort to explain to every couple that's about to get married or is even being remarried that conflict is inevitable. It's not a matter of if, but when. And the real question becomes, how do we handle conflict? Even in households where brothers and sisters really love each other, and their demeanor is good, they may well have conflict. Some of you handle conflict in different ways. Some of you are screamers. Fits your manner. Fits your personality. You get excited when stuff goes awry. And you don't mind letting others know. (laughs) Others are more adept at body language. Strength in quietness. Some of you had a parent that could give you a look. Some of you are more passive-aggressive at getting your point across. If it takes you two weeks, you can be quiet and not say a word. But sending a message. Our upbringing, our family background, and they tend to have the greatest impact on how we handle conflict. 
And so passion and losing control is where our story and this message begins. But where it ends is where conflict in the Christian life must be resolved. And that happens when we are reconciled. Thus the title of my message, The Necessity of Reconciliation. And so I'm going to begin with passions gone awry. And from the passage of scripture in, um, it's not advancing, Teresa, and maybe you're going to have to help me out. Don't know why it's not advancing. Second Samuel chapter 13, verse 1. And thus the PG-13 message comes from this passage. Uh, you may actually have to use your own Bible today. Until we get the uh, slide to advance, uh, I'll bring you up to whenever we can get that moving. Now, David's son Absalom had a beautiful sister named Tamar. And Amnon, her half-brother, fell desperately in love with her. Amnon became so obsessed with Tamar that he became ill. She was a virgin, and Amnon thought he could never have her. But Amnon had a very crafty friend. Some of you have crafty friends. A lot like this. His cousin, Jonadab, was the son of David's brother, Shemiah. One day, Jonadab said to Amnon, what's the trouble? Why should the son of a king look so dejected morning after morning? So Amnon told him, I am in love with Tamar, my brother Absalom's sister. Now just wipe off the idea of the gross idea here, just for a minute. Going to have to sweep it aside. What unfolds for us in this story is a wicked plot that results in Amnon raping his half-sister Tamar. And proof that this act was nothing more than lustful obsession rather than love is found in verse 15 when immediately after the act, Amnon began to hate her. I'm going to give you the passage of scripture. It says that suddenly Amnon's love turned to hate and he hated her even more Then he had loved her. Get out of here! He snarled at her. And while all of this is clearly disgusting, be careful how scathing your judgment becomes. Just be careful. Let me explain this. I, I need to give you a little bit of the cultural understanding. PG-13. If a man had sexual intercourse with a virgin in particular, that was the act that was considered the consummation of the marriage. They are now married. So biblically they are married upon this act. All right, so get in the mindset. 
I, I know you live in a world that has devalued sexuality to the extent that people have sex with whomever, whenever, wherever, whatever. With total abandoned disregard for its impact on your spiritual well-being. And if I look at you right now, it's not because I know something about you. I'm just a preacher that looks congregates in the eyes. And frankly, I know many of you are in these categories. So, But listen, we have divorced ourselves of what the, the act of sex has an impact on our spiritual lives. We marry ourselves to the soul of another person when we have intercourse. Now there I said it. And parents, you have good conversation this afternoon with your teenagers and preteens that are sitting here now. You can, you can look at all the scriptures yourself and and you'll begin to understand this connection that is not supposed to be made until you're actually married. And so having considered what I just said, when Amnon hates her more than he actually loved her prior, he throws her out and now has completely ruined her entire life. From the eyes of another man, she is now useless. So now you know how deep this story digs and how important it is in what's happened now in this scenario. He's ruined her life, her future. She ends up being taken care of by another brother throughout her life. She's nothing more than used goods. Now, the scripture reminds us that the heart of man is wicked. Jeremiah 17.9 puts it this way. The human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. And so when I said a moment ago, be careful how scathing your judgment becomes. Come on, your own heart has some trouble, don't it? It is in the scripture of Jeremiah 17, 9. The trouble is that all of us have the amazing ability to twist what we want or lust after into a need. And we'll quickly spiritualize it as our right and even provision from God. I said a whole lot in that statement. Even if you're not taking notes, you should take that note. Because every single one of us have the ability to be manipulative in our mindset and thinking. And, and, and we, we look at stuff that we want. And don't confuse everything that is, that you lust after is not necessarily sexual. The, the word gets lost in that because, but we lust after all kinds of things. be all kinds of things. I don't need to. There's very few of us that don't lust for food. (laughs) 
So we can manipulate things and call it, oh, this is God's plan for me. Get all, get your life all messed up. And listen to me when I say this next point. It's not in your notes. You can manipulate people. Don't try it with God. You're going to, now listen to me. I'm just going to hit some highlights on this story, but there are two full chapters you should read to really understand what I'm preaching to you today. Because there's so much manipulation and the hand of man getting in there and just, you know, like you're kneading dough or mixing a meatloaf. Those of you that do meatloaf. You know, like just getting their head. There's so much of that in this story. You can try that and you can fool people. You can fool us. But it's going to come back on you. Because God's there. Now, by now you may realize these are King David's children. Everyone we're talking about in this story, King David's children. And while he is furious about it, he does nothing about it. Uh, Teresa, doing it again. Let me see if my, my, mine's still good. Maybe it's weak, but anyway, we'll do all right. The scripture says, when King David heard what had happened, he was very angry. And to that I say, whoop-de-doo. Because that's the only thing the scripture says about it. He was angry. Can any of you imagine why the great King David did nothing about this horrible sexual sin? Uh, you adults that, you people that actually read the Bible, you, you know what's going on now, don't you? You don't, you don't have to be a psychologist just to imagine why King David didn't say anything. Why he sat back and because he's thinking, if I say anything, people are gonna look at me too. What you talking about, David? Didn't you walk this same path? You even capped it off by killing her husband. And so naturally, he's quiet about it. That doesn't make it right. So he says nothing. And this thing festers. And we're, we're seeing the problems of a divided household. In this case, there were multiple wives. So Absalom has a different mom than Amnon. They both are King David's children, and so is Tamar. But Absalom and Tamar have the same mom. And David seems to be also what I would call a distant father. Clearly, David's sin with Bathsheba blurred his vision on the sin in his own household. And he didn't deal with it. You would have thought, knowing how bad it was for him and the cost that it played on his life and his kingdom, that he would have dealt with this issue. But he didn't. 
He didn't have preachers that would stand in a pulpit in front of him telling him, Don't get all those wives. I know you can have it, but you shouldn't. I'm going to make a statement now that's going to dig a little bit deep and it's going to create a little bit of pain for a few people, but I need to make the statement and I'm going to reiterate it a couple of times. You can have ministry gifts and great talent while also having other closeted areas out of control. I need to explain it a little bit. You can be involved in ministry, called by God, have His Spirit and anointing upon you, and He still use you while you have closeted areas that are out of control. You can get away with it. For a time. You can get away with it. It's affecting you even if nobody else knows. It's affecting you. It affects you spiritually, internally. Your soul man is adversely affected by the sin that you're carrying. And even if nobody else knows about it, you're being affected by it. But eventually, God has this way of just turning that thing out and boom. There's a explosion as it were in your life and there are many things that David did incredibly well but listen I, I've walked this out in my own life uh, lifetime I should say because I had to watch as great men of God writing on my television that I that I revered and honored fell with closeted sin in their lives and it It was, I was embarrassed as a pastor to be named amongst some of these. And they were literally Assembly of God ministers. And I was embarrassed. I was a young minister and I thought, wow, I've got to work through all of that. Their mess. It'll, eventually, it's going to bite you. And so I'm going to say it here. I'm going to say it now. Um, There are things that you cannot allow to linger in your life. I need to say it because that's a twofold point. Things you cannot allow. In David's case, if he'd have just dealt with this, if he'd have went to his son and said, what you did was wrong, you're going to have to pay some kind of price. You should have banished him from his household at the very least. Should have made him take her for his wife and made sure that he took good care of her. Get again, get past the grossness of it. This was not that unusual in that time. But, but I said it was two things. Don't allow things to linger in your life. Deal with the issues when they come up. And don't allow stuff to sit in your heart that you've got to get rid of because it walk with God. I, I need to move on. Absalom, Tamar's old, whole brother, devises a plan to kill Amnon two years in the making. Yeah, you ought to think for a minute. Two years in the making. 
What does that tell you about this situation? He's boiling over inside. He's straining and struggling inside for two years. It's eating at him. It says it in the scripture. I'm going to read it to you. Two years later, Absalom invited... I I skipped some stuff. That's what the three dots mean. Two years later... Absalom invited all the king's sons to come to a feast. Part of what's in there is that he invited David as well. But David said, no, it's not good for all of us to be in the same place at the same time. And he's right about that. Because that made him vulnerable from a king's standpoint. Then his entire dynasty could be destroyed if somebody attacked them in a single house. So David's not there. Absalom told his men, wait until Amnon gets drunk. Then at my signal, kill him. Don't be afraid. I'm the one who has given the command. Take courage and do it. So at Absalom's signal, they murdered Amnon. Now, here's what manipulation looks like. Absalom feels to take matters into his own hands in order to bring justice. And it would not have... uh, Rape would have involved... Uh, someone's life, costing their life. So that part wasn't so much out of bounds, if you will. But what we don't have in this whole scenario is any record of a conversation between Absalom and King David on the issue. You don't read it there because it's not there. They did not have a conversation. A simple conversation. And this goes both ways. King David doesn't have it with Absalom. Absalom doesn't have it with King David. I hope you're listening to me, all of you adults in this room right now. Even some of you older uh, young people. There are conversations you're going to need to have in your life that you desperately don't want to have, but you must have. And this is not in your notes, so this is a freebie, but you're going to want to write this down. Deception and bad thinking can brew in the absence of needed conversations. I'll say it again because some of you are taking notes. Deception and bad thinking can brew in the absence of needed conversations. So there are some necessary and difficult conversations you must have. And what happens with Absalom is his anger ran deep and ultimately he must flee. The scripture puts it this way. Meanwhile, Absalom escaped. He had no option, by the way. He had to get out of there. So he escapes to a territory called Geshur. He lives there for three years, actually. But eventually, King David... So there's two years it's brewing. Three years he's in banishment, or out of the land of his growth, where he grew up in. And 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 eventually, though, King David gets over the loss of his oldest son, Amnon, and he begins to miss Absalom, who was still in the territory of Geshur. But you gotta pause for a minute. Because how many of you know 
there are more than, there's more than one side to any story. Can I just give that little bit of advice to you? You're listening to one person in one side. Just, just, just at least get the other side. Pause and listen to the other person, even if you don't like them. At least hear their story. Because there's more to this story that you won't pick up on your first reading. Absalom is the next oldest son. Consequently, heir to the throne. Amnon was the oldest. Amnon is no more. So, while you may feel Absalom's actions are justified, I will challenge you that his motives are highly suspect. Because he's next in line to be king. All right, let's move. Another side of passion. We've just dealt with passions gone awry. Let's look at another side of passion. This now from 2 Samuel 14, first three verses. Joab realized how much the king longed to see Absalom. So he sent for a woman from Tekoa who had a reputation for great wisdom. And he said to her, pretend you are in mourning. Wear mourning clothes and don't put on lotions. Act like a woman who has been in, been mourning for the dead for a long time. Then go to the king and tell him the story I'm about to tell you. Then Joab told her what to say. Now this is the part where I'm saying, uh, we're just not reading all of it. There's another like 15 verses for this to make real sense to you. But basically, she makes up a story that is a metaphor for the story with King David, Amnon, Absalom. So basically, that's what she tells him. It, it just, it, it sounds a whole lot like the same story. Joab is King David's right hand man. And he goes through an elaborate scheme in order to bring Absalom back. And the fabricated story opens the eyes and ultimately the heart of the king. And she told the story she did well. In telling the story, it's all made up, it's not real. Joab told her what to say to the king, how to do it. And she did it, she was willing. The wise woman's words work. And I'll say it this way. She's very courageous. Courageous enough to give words of counsel to the king. Because you'd see it when you read the story. But King David looks at her and says, who put you up to this basically? Did my servant Joab put you up to this? Why would he think Joab had done this? Because he knows Joab, and Joab was there when Uriah was put out in front. You still with me? Any of you that tell me that the Bible is boring, you ain't reading my Bible. Joab was there. He knew the king. So he has this story made up because he had watched the king. Joab, hear me, 
knew how to manipulate the king. And so what happens with King David is he realizes that the judgment he gave this woman in this case is just like what Nathan the prophet said to him when Nathan came after Bathsheba, Uriah, and all of that. David says, oh my goodness. Look what's come on me again. I made a bad judgment call. His own words condemn his ways. And again, I'll say it, Joab knew David's life quite well. Apparently, unlike most men, David was a stubborn man. And couldn't be reasoned with directly, only indirectly. And it was a different day and a different time. So you understand this. That, I mean, you know, the king could take your head off. He just says, hey, I'm done with this person. Off with their head. And so it's a little bit different. So you can't just come in directly and tell the king, straighten up, king. You should have saw this. That was stupid what you did. How many know you're going to have a headache after that? But I'm not ending on a bad note. Not that we're at the end. This story bristles with hope, grace, and life. Hope because after two years of burning hatred that led to Absalom killing his brother, three years of fearful banishment, and two more years of estrangement and being ignored, David embraces and kisses his son. So we have a total of seven years here, don't we? Because even when Joab brings Absalom back, David says, I don't want to see his face. Two years. Yeah. That's what I mean when I say, be careful how scathing your judgment. Here's David. Who does he think he is? He leaves to his son to exact the judgment that he should have dealt with if his own heart had been right. So he tells him, yeah, you can come back, but I ain't, I don't want to look at you. What do you think happens over the course of the next two years? Absalom continues his manipulative ways and he, and he ultimately gains the people's hearts. Everybody that comes into town looking for some kind of justice, he just says, hey, let me help you out. If I were king, I would give you everything you're asking for. If I were only appointed king, then I could help you. And eventually people start believing his lies. But it's full of hope. Because look, David embraces and kisses his son. Look at verse 33 in chapter 14 of Second Samuel. So Joab told the king what Absalom had said. Then at last David summoned Absalom, who came and bowed low before the king, and the king kissed him. Reconciliation. It's come full circle. So it appears. 
So there's hope, but I want you to see grace. Grace because I'm going to give you guys a scripture that you didn't know existed. That you've bypassed a dozen times when you were reading it. That you're going to walk out of this service today with some grace, hope, and life that you've not ever seen. Listen to this. Because God devises ways to bring those who are away from him back. You think I'm making this up. 2 Samuel 14 verse 14 puts it this way. But God does not just sweep life away. Instead, he devises ways to bring us back when we've been separated from him. Oh, look it up in your Bible. I'll assure you it's there. And whatever version you read is going to come out just like this or mean just what this one says. You can't get around the fact that God devises ways to bring people back to Him. Those who are away, He brings them back. When I was 14 years old, I'm going to have to tell this story very quickly. But I was 14 years old, and some of you have heard it a half dozen times, so just look at the others and say, eh, I heard this before. It's still pretty cool. I was 14 years old, we were going hunting. I grew up in Florida, so we hunted in the Everglades, and we had a camp in the Everglades. Literally, what is Everglades now, they made all of us eventually tear down our places and get out of the territory because it's Everglades National Park now. But I was hunting there when I was a kid, and I was 14 years old. It was Thanksgiving weekend. We all went. I had my brother's father, uncle. I even, uh, now this is going to really blow some of you away. My stepdad and my stepbrother were there. Dad, stepdad, dad, stepdad, same hunting cabin. Guns. (laughs) Alcohol. What could go wrong? (laughs) And, and one early morning, the, Our dogs got loose. You could hunt with dogs. We hunted deer with dogs in the Everglades. And and they had gotten loose and they were chasing a deer. We knew that because of just knowing our animals. And uh, in the hurry to get out of there, I had a 30-30 rifle. I walked up to a picnic bench. I set the rifle here, put one leg up, had the rifle here, reached across the table. The rifle did this. It went... Switched the butt of the gun, and when it fell off the edge of the bench, the trigger hit the bench and fired and hit me in this left shoulder. And I only tell you, I'm not going to give you all of the details. There's a testimony inside of the testimony, but the point of saying it to you is that my oldest brother was standing there, who was just here a few weeks ago. He was standing there, and when he saw what was unfolding, a lot of blood, I fell, I hit the ground, and just they weren't sure what was happening at the time or exactly where I'd been hit. My stepfather jumped on me and covered my shoulder with a, a, a T-shirt, and, uh, and my brother was standing there, and he said, Lord, <laughs> 
if you will save my brother, I'll come back to you. And as you just saw, he's still serving God. He's, he's leading worship in his church this morning. God has his ways of bringing people back. And if you'd asked me if I'd have given up another shoulder for my other brothers, I'd have done the same thing. I'd have done it because I wanted to see him saved. Listen to this passage from Romans 5. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son, while we were still his enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. Don't tell me he's not chasing you down. God was devising a way to bring you back to Him while you were still in your mother's womb. Bring you to Him. And life, I said, grace, now life, because God does not, this is the amplified version, simply take away life, but devises plans so that the one who is banished is not driven away from Him. Y'all let our Spanish brothers and sisters come in because we're bringing in a whole load of people in the membership today. And while y'all are not distracted about that, (laughs) hear these words. Our sin had us banished from God. That's the truth. Our sin had us banished from God. We were estranged and away from Him, but He devised a plan to bring us back. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God had a plan. Oh yeah, the serpent got in the head of, of, of Eve. He deceived Eve. And consequently, they, they were taken out of the garden and banished from the garden. But God set a plan in order to bring mankind back to Him. God sends His love, His great love to us in the form of His Son, Jesus And he's not looking for a way to destroy you. He's looking for a way to restore you. Come on, say hallelujah. He's looking for a way to bring you back in. It may have took some manipulation by Joab and some others. But but ultimately, 
The scriptures tell us in 2 Samuel 14, 14, God devises ways. Are you hearing this? God devises ways. So God is working His plan to bring you into right relationship with Him. We looked at passions gone awry and another side of passion. Let's look at right passions now. From 2 Corinthians I didn't write down the chapter. I believe it's five. Some of you can help me out on that because I want people to have the right chapter. It is five? Thank you. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone, a new life has begun. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling. Oh, oh, pause. God has given us this task. God has given us this task of reconciling people to Him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And He gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making His appeal through us. Oh my goodness, look at what God's doing with you. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. We have a new life with a changed heart. Our passions are redirected. Somebody say hallelujah. Being close to the king, Joab knew that the king longed for a restored relationship with Absalom, and he sought to reconcile them. He did his part to help reconcile Absalom to his father, King David. God sought to reconcile us to himself. God has done his part to reconcile us to him. Hear this, God made the decision to do this. He was purposeful. Oh, I'm talking to you now. Look at your neighbor and say, you need to start acting like Joab. Yeah, yeah, in the right ways. I know some of y'all were challenged on that. Wait a minute. Joab was a little rough, Pastor. God gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that passage said. As a child of God, it's now our task to bring others into reconciliation. Our task. 
Hear me when I say this, those of you who have had the privilege of hearing the entire message. If the wise woman was courageous enough to go to the king, you can muster the courage to go to someone with far less ability to destroy you. Surely, you can go to that neighbor, that friend, that loved one. Ooh, I'm going to turn this right on your head now. Surely, you can go to that person who loves Jesus like you do and be reconciled to them. You could be courageous enough. You could be humble enough to go to that person and be reconciled. Hmm. We're all modern versions of Joab. We have the privilege of bringing others to Christ for reconciliation. Let me conclude this with eternal passion. Absalom's story doesn't end well. I told you, you're going to need to read it yourself, but it doesn't end well. Once again, David's heart is broken. It's destroyed. All of which could have been avoided with the right actions and some conversation. If David had taken the proper action and dealt with Amnon properly, he might, we, we might not have had at King Solomon, we might have had King Absalom. It, it sounds messed up to you. I, and and I'm, I'm sure this was all part of God's plan, the way he works things out. Solomon was pl- supposed to be the king. I understand that, but still, If David had done what he should have done, things would not have gone the way that they went. That's clear. So, ultimately, Absalom is killed by the very one who would have him reconciled to his father. Joab. Sees to it that his life is taken. And so their reconciliation, Absalom with the king, was a shadow of the real thing. It didn't really happen because of all of the manipulation and all of the workings of men. But it doesn't work that way in the kingdom of God. If we will walk in obedience to the king of kings, if we will do his bidding as he would have us do it, then we can be a part of something that's far greater than ourselves. We'll recognize that when we lack reconciliation with somebody that loves Jesus, we have have to work at it. We have to have the difficult conversations that nobody enjoys, but are necessary. If David had humbled himself appropriately, he could have taken care of this issue. Absalom was rebellious. He sought to take over the kingdom. Ultimately, he does take it out from under his father for a time, but That just puts him on a path to ultimate destruction. And David is once again restored in his kingdom because that's the way God's plan was. But Absalom was a schemer. Ultimately, he won his way into the hearts of the people of the kingdom with his falsehoods and his estrangement. And years of estrangement and discord ultimately cost him his life. That's Absalom. And I wonder who is in this room today who needs to be reconciled to God first.
We've already dealt with that in communion. We gave you the opportunity to be fully reconciled to God. If you've not yet done that, it's time. It's time that you get things right between you and God. That you ask Christ to forgive you of your sins. There is a price that was paid, but it's not given to you. It was offered to you. It is offered to you, but it's not given to you unless you ask God to forgive you of your sins and come into your heart and be your Savior. You can do that right now. But I have to be honest with you this morning. I want, I, I actually want to take you believers to the next level because yes, you do need to work at bringing people to Jesus. You now are given the ability to reconcile others to Christ. But I got to go into another zone for a minute and remind you that if you are estranged from a brother or sister in Christ, they love Jesus, you love Jesus, but somebody did something wrong. Somebody committed some act. Somebody mistreated somebody else. Whether by intent or neglect or just accident. And there's a thing between you and them that doesn't exist in the kingdom of God and goes without notice. God knows. God notices. You know what he tells us? If we fail to forgive those who have hurt us, have wronged us, if we fail to forgive them, that puts us in a place where God says, I can't forgive you. Because you're withholding grace for somebody that you have the ability to show grace to. I gave you my love. I sent my son when you didn't deserve it, nor did you ask for it. I did what was necessary so you could have eternal life. Now you have to do what's necessary to make things right between you, a brother or sister in Christ, maybe even a family member. What are you going to do to reconcile? Because you can't have this story like we've just presented, like I've just preached, and not understand the expense of a failure to do what needed to be done and be really reconciled. Your sin will be dealt with. The pain of it will be dealt with. It'll be exacted in your family somewhere, in your life somewhere. It, it'll, it'll come out. Don't let what happened in this family, in this, this situation, come to your household, your life in some way, shape, or form because you failed to ask someone to forgive you. Or you failed to, to forgive someone. Whatever side you're on, damages will come. Bow your head, close your eyes. Nobody look around. Please, this is this is really important to me that you're you're a, you're allowing room for this private moment.
If you're here and there's some kind of separation between somebody that loves Jesus, there's some kind of discord, hurt, pain in your heart or in your life, whether it's created by somebody else or it's something that you've allowed to evolve, just lift your hand. I'm not going to have you pointed out today. Just lift your hand. Thank you. Thank you for your honesty. Thank you for being willing to open up your heart today. And I'm going to say again, I'm not going to have this pointed out. I'm not going to ask you to stand. I'm not going to ask you to run down to this altar. What I am going to ask you is listen again to this message after reading it the entire 2 Samuel 13, 14. You could even slip over into 15. Get the whole story. And then listen to this message again. It's, it's recorded. It's online. And this is, this is God's opportunity to take and drive a stake in the plan of the devil to destroy you and others around you. It's his opportunity to rob you. This preacher standing up in front of you saying, Hey, I'm waving a flag saying, God has the chance now. Give him the chance to allow his grace, which allowed him to say, Forgive them. Forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. To work in you. And manifest in others. It takes a lot of courage to do this. I know it. And so I'm going to give you that opportunity here today to deal with this issue. But you're going to deal with it in privacy. You deal with it the way you need to deal with it. You talk to the people you need to talk to. God, give them grace. Give them strength. God, turn things around. Give them courage. It takes loads of courage. I know that, Lord. It takes loads of courage. doesn't matter which side of this issue you're on. Where you're the one that needs to be forgiven or the one that needs to give forgiveness. doesn't matter. Ultimately, it takes courage to do it, humility to do it. And God, that's what I'm pleading for you to help men and women in this place have. Some people are in this room. There are probably ladies in this room that would never imagine forgiving someone who has misused them and abused them. So God, I know that that takes a kind of courage that I've never had to muster. I don't say it lightly, but I pray, God, whatever the scenario, whatever the circumstance, you give them courage and strength to deal with it, to have the conversation, to put it to rest and see resolve. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. 
If you folks don't mind, would you just stay steady for a minute? All of you folks that are joining the church today, I want you all to stand up here at the Spanish Mission. Would you all come up here? And we got a few folks that are also, have been a part of us for a while, but they're, they're officially, please, please. Fact is, I would love for you to stand and face them. So put your legs to the back of the altar. Come on, sweetheart. We got a spot for you. You get in by default. It's because you're so cute. No. Praise the Lord. Yeah, isn't this beautiful? I have the joint privilege of being able to pastor all of these folks. And as you can see on my left, your right, uh, these folks are from our Spanish mission. Got to baptize this little young lady not long ago. And we're going to be baptizing a young man right over there in a couple weeks. Jose's not in the Spanish mission, but he has the name. It fits. So uh, he's right there on the end. Some of these people are just beautiful people. I have the privilege of pastoring. I'm not seeing Alma. I know she was here. She moved on me. Alma took all of these Spanish folks through uh, uh, discipleship, membership, and uh, I know she did a great job. So these people are real deal members about to be in a moment. And these folks, many of these folks have been here for a long time. It's good that Santos is finally coming into membership. I'm sorry, he's an elder. He's been a he's been a member here longer than I have. So anyway, and uh, these beautiful people, I I just thank God when I look at them, look at what God's done in their lives. It just Makes me want to shout. Because <laughs> uh, I've seen what God has done in their lives. And and they want to be involved in ministry. And they want to do work at the church. And, and so all of that has to take place. Just for those of you who are thinking about this. Uh, we have our annual meeting coming up. You can't vote unless you are a member. And this takes place. And And also you can't teach unless you're a member. You may have loved the Lord for a long, long time and and know more about the Bible than I do, but we want to know you're a member before we put you in a position of teaching and leading our people. So, I have a little something to say to you all, and you're going to act like you were getting married today. And so, say, I will. Right, so I'm helping you. Can you say that? Not in Spanish. I will. You can speak English. I will. Okay. I'm just rehearsing a little bit to help you out. Having given your life to Jesus Christ and chosen to follow Him uh, with your life 
And secondarily, choosing to make this church your home church where you will have membership. And having understood that you become part of a body. And as part of that body, you will support the rest of the body. First of all, in prayer. Secondarily, in fellowship. And thirdly, even including your finances. That you'll not tip God, you will actually tithe and give to the kingdom and the work of God. Here at Central Assembly, having understood all of those things, you do, from this point forward, agree to be a member of the body called Central Assembly of God. If so, say, I do. As part of this body, we pledge to love you, to pray for you, to support you when things don't look good or feel good, to teach the word to you, to show you how to live out this gospel life. But something we ask of you is that when you identify yourself as a member of Central Assembly of God, you realize you represent Jesus Christ to the community of the Lehigh Valley. And I want you to do that well. So that we bring no shame to Christ. And you love Him and express that love and care for others. I need you to be a full-on follower of Jesus Christ and represent Him well. If you represent Him well, you'll make us proud. Amen. Hallelujah. Would y'all stretch your hands in this direction? Thank you, Father, for these beautiful men and women here in this place. Thank you, Lord, for bringing them to our doorstep. Thank you, Lord, for the wonderful work you've done in their lives. So many of them, they're all saved. They're born again. And many of them filled with the Holy Spirit. Many of them capable, gifted, and willing and able to be used by you in doing work for your kingdom. I pray your rich blessings on them. I pray that your spirit flow through them. I pray that you do a work through them. And as we add them to our role, Lord Jesus, God, you uphold them daily. We will support them with love, with prayer, with care. We'll teach them the word. We'll show them the way. God, I pray that you give them grace. to overlook our frailties, our shortcomings, and give us grace. To do the same with them, that we will overlook their frailty and their shortcomings, the days when they mess up and they don't get it right, Lord. Help us to show grace to them. 
So, Father, today we extend the right hand of fellowship to these brothers and sisters and offer them gifts showing our love and appreciation to them. In Jesus' name, amen. I hope you've enjoyed today's message and that it has been a blessing to you. Thank you for listening in. If you have met Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, would you please connect with us either at our website, www.centralfamily.net, or perhaps give us a call at 610-865-0577. We'd love to hear from you. Also, if this has been that kind of a blessing to you, would you consider blessing us with a financial gift to make it possible for us to continue to do what we're doing here and taking the gospel not only to the Lehigh Valley but around the world. We want to do our part in reaching the people that God has entrusted to us with the gospel of Jesus Christ. You can help us with your financial gift or sowing a seed to this ministry. God bless you. Have an amazing day. Remember, you can reach us and give through www.centralfamily.net.